And it's funny, like when I let go of all that stuff with this project, I feel like I hit a better note. I feel like Mm. because I stopped worrying about how much this related to everyone, I finally was able to actually relate to everyone Mm. because I was just trying to have fun. My name is Wes Gibbons, and welcome back to the Tungsten Originals podcast. You just heard part of my conversation with singer, songwriter, and my brother, Warren Gibbons. We discussed the current state of the music industry, making music in the age of streaming, and the music video that we made together. So sit back, relax, and enjoy episode 32 of the Tungsten Originals podcast. Warren, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm doing great. Is this your first podcast? This is my first podcast. But you've spoken into a microphone. Several times before. <laughs> These specific microphones. Yes. So it works out pretty well. It does. <laughs> um, you are my brother. That is true. Unless you want to reveal something. Well, you know, the stork. You know. Right. Yeah. We so, have the same stork. Right. Right. Exactly. It's nice how they, you know designed that it is <laughs> the family stork but you are you are a musician and we're going to talk a lot about music today um i think i've only had one musician on the podcast okay. and he wasn't like the traditional kind of musician he was like making beats more of a producer okay. that type of stuff um but for those who don't know unlike myself could you give a little bit of backstory about where you grew up and where you went to school and all that kind of stuff totally so like you I grew up in a small town in North Mississippi, yes. in Etobia, Mississippi, and uh, then went to boarding school, actually here in Asheville, North Carolina, mm-hmm. for high school, which is actually where I really started to take music seriously Okay, um, yeah. and start to play seriously in a band. That was like my first right. band experience ever. Um, was that 10 Gallon Hat? That was, was that number two. That was number two. <laughs> that was kind of like an underground version of okay. the already underground initial band. Right. Um, the uh, the first band was called the Green Bean oh, String right. Band. <laughs> yes. Aptly named. Aptly named. We had Green Bean String shirts and Green Bean String merch of all shapes and sizes. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Which I'm sure just popped off. We took it very seriously. <laughs> As you should. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and then I really started to take it seriously as a potential career path. Yeah. So I started to look into different college programs around the country that mm-hmm. offered something in the way of music and yeah. music industry studies kind of thing and landed on Belmont University in Nashville. Mm-hmm. I kind of thought about it as... I would get to go to kind of two different schools. One, the music business program at Mm -hmm. Belmont University. And two, the proverbial school of hard knocks (laughs) that is Nashville, Tennessee, working musicians. Yeah. Yeah. So I spent about 10 years in Nashville, a year in the middle of there in New Orleans, kind of off and on. Right. Austin, kind of off and on Mm -hmm. um, before a few years ago, ultimately deciding to pick up shop and move Mm -hmm. here to the mountains which gotta say good choice (laughs) you know it's it's not too shabby yeah yeah this is the first episode recorded in the mountains or north carolina at all so you might hear sound uh sounds from the mountains right little birds a bear might come by a bear might come and (laughs) 
totally maul us <laughs> in the middle of this episode. But hey, it'll this episode will still be out no matter what. <laughs> exactly. My but, will has ways to edit the podcast and to, you know, upload it. There you go. <laughs> Good. So when you when you got to when you were going to Asheville, you went in ninth grade, right? Because mm -hmm. it's ninth through twelfth. Mm -hmm. But you can kinda enter in like at any time, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. When you went there in ninth grade, what was your idea like when people would ask you what do you want to do when you grow up what do you want to be what would your answer be um i'd say you know for most i can't honestly remember if i ever had like a specific idea in mind when mm -hmm. we started doing the band seriously my junior year of high school everything about my future to me kind of revolved around music yeah so yeah I, you know something in music as an artist or mm -hmm. you know some other kind of job in the music industry yeah. or something like that. Yeah. yeah. So when you were still living in the five star city that we call our hometown, mm -hmm. when was the first time that you got interested in music like at all? Hmm. Well, I very distinctly remember one day, it was one of my earliest memories when mm -hmm. I was five or six, I was oh, wow. playing on the swing set that mm -hmm. our father and I built. Mm -hmm. I'm sure I didn't do much. I was just about to say, I'm sure six, you contributed but... a bunch to that. <laughs> In my head, I was the <laughs> architect. Um, Absolutely. But uh, I was out there playing on the swing set. And I, for some reason, remember mom and memories are so funny. Yeah. Know, like mm -hmm. what we do to them in our brains. Mm -hmm. is not exactly like this, obviously. Right. But I have this memory of mom coming out and saying, just kind of yelling across the yard like she would say, dinner is ready. But this time she said, you're going to take piano lessons. <laughs> and I just was like, okay, sounds good. Um, and that started like five years of traditional classical piano lessons mm -hmm. somewhere later like either after that or towards the tail end of that i picked up a guitar mm -hmm. but only took a couple of guitar lessons in Cenotopia mm -hmm. at that local guitar at store that, place yeah, exactly yeah. did you like piano taking lessons or was it like uh oh, mom's making me do this it was it was it, it was a little bit of both i'd say like yeah. i really appreciated the musical aspects of it again mm -hmm. i was such a a kid it was kind of like you know kind of right. a forced act after school activity that i learned to love i think as right. i went on it really of course relied on the teacher i had a mm -hmm. couple of teachers in that span that were the you know the, the kind of poster child uh you know, older woman who's a piano mm -hmm. teacher slapping my wrists <laughs> with a ruler when I made right. a mistake. Did that actually happen to dad? That's one of the stories that he tells, I think. Maybe. <laughs> Again, we know how memories work <laughs> right now because uh, right. we've covered that. So. Yeah. But I like to believe that that's yeah. how it happened. Yeah. And it was kind of that situation with a couple teachers for me. And then I can't remember her name for the life of me. Mom's going to kill me. But I can't remember her name. But there was one teacher that I really did like. She was a younger woman uh i think she was a music per, like teacher in the school system or maybe mm -hmm. at northwest or something like that she obviously really loved it and wasn't just doing it right you know to make a an extra buck yeah or something like that and i remember like really being able to connect on different pieces and stuff like that mm -hmm. yeah so when did you start singing i'd say well you know like when you when i picked up guitar the way to like practice guitar was to play different songs mm -hmm. so I kind of sort of sung, yeah. you know, um, those early songs mm -hmm. that we would play and I'd, you know, sing along with the radio kind of stuff. Yeah. But as far as like actually in the classical sense, starting mm -hmm. to sing was, you know, my junior year 
of high school mm-hmm. when we were really starting to uh, take the band seriously. Yeah. We all signed up for chorus for one of the semesters. So I learned, you know, all about the diaphragm and mm-hmm. everything like that. So was that kind of like your first technical voice lesson that you Absolutely. had? Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, I think we sang in the, you know, church choir right. when, I was, when I was a kid, but right. never anything like classically trained. Kind of right. Thing. Most kids can like kind of carry a tune. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> so, okay. What, when did you start writing music? And do you remember writing your first song? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so in high school, we were, it was a bluegrass band. So right. most of the material was from a traditional catalog that mm-hmm. everybody kind of played. That's kind of how that, that sect of music works. Yeah. Um, but there were a couple of like instrumental numbers that we'd written. Um, mm-hmm. So nothing with words. And then I think we took a stab at a couple of originals, but nothing ever like super serious but yeah. um i'd say it probably wasn't until college um that i really started to take songwriting seriously mm-hmm. yeah like my freshman year of college it was kind of just something i started i you know it was this indescribable force in me that i felt like it needed to be investigated and was that just like did you have like a method to how to even approach that no it was you know pretty simple chord structures right you know four basic chords Mm -hmm. just kind of like seeing how different words fit together in different places and different rhyme schemes and because i'd never actually been a poet you know yeah um did you take like a creative writing class at Asheville or in college uh yes i did in college okay yeah two different creative writing classes that i really enjoyed Mm -hmm. so you talked about how you started taking music like really seriously in high school but was there a time that you thought I could do this and make a living out of it and make money out of it and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, it was kind of like, was that at the same time? Yeah, exactly. Okay. And you know, a lot of that was just sheer drive and like right. force of will without mm. knowing much about the ins and outs of how anything actually works, <laughs> right. you know, just really being driven to mm-hmm. create. So you just told me when you first wrote a song, but when was the first time that you recorded a song? Mm-hmm. Like even just on your phone oh. or like, you know, made a, recording a recording of it um i'd say the first well i mean I, I i was you know doing the kind of voice memo or whatever the version of at that time was <laughs> right. of that you know the first couple of years of college and then mm-hmm. actually worked on four or five songs that we recorded in my buddy's kitchen with two condenser microphones sometime i guess my sophomore or junior year yeah of college mm-hmm what was that like, like recording it, quote unquote, officially for the first time? Um, it was exhilarating and terrifying <laughs> and difficult, way yeah. harder. So we had, you know, everything was way overly ambitious. Right. From the fact that it was just three different instruments in one room with two condenser microphones mm-hmm. set up across the room. That's like a very, it takes a very refined musician yeah. um, to really be able, because you have to control all the dynamics mm-hmm. yourself. And everything's live. No, right. Dubs. It's not like you're recording like the guitar track and you're listening to that track as you're singing or something. Yeah. And then editing and mixing, you right. don't get to change anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was how um, a couple of our like bluegrass idols were recording, mm-hmm. like recording a mm-hmm. couple of records at that time. So we wanted to give it a shot. Yeah. So it was a lot of fun. You know, I was green <laughs> as green can be. <laughs> right. Um, those recordings are not on the internet anymore. <laughs> 
Um, but I'm right. sure by design. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Save everybody that. Right. Were, there, were any of those songs early versions of the first of the songs on your first uh, self-titled album? No. Okay. That was kind of like a uh, pr- you know clearing of the throat, right? So to speak. Yeah. That first stab where an experiment. Yeah, mm-hmm. like six songs that you know there were bits and pieces of some of them that were cool, but it was kind of just like uh, the beginnings, mm-hmm. you know, the beginning rumbles of what that what it would be. So everything on the the full length was yeah. completely brand new. What what year did your first full length come out? Twenty thirteen. Okay, I want to say. Gotcha. What was that process like putting that together? Um, that was a much different process mm-hmm. than the first record. Um, that was again at a friend's house, but in a much more professional setting. He had mm-hmm. a full a full soundboard. Oh, um, there were okay. different rooms for the different uh, for the different instruments, so mm-hmm. that everything could remain isolated. And we kind of did it according to the Nashville formula where, you know, we all went in and recorded live to get the drum and bass tracks mm-hmm. um, so that you had, you know, the basic rhythm of everything and then slowly overdubbed everything else mm-hmm. um, into oblivion. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it, it was a months long process oh, okay. with a bunch of different great players. That's the one thing about Nashville. Mm-hmm. Um, well, not just the one thing, but it's one of the things about Nashville and Belmont. I was just surrounded right. by aces. You yeah, know. the right people. Um, yeah. Did the process of overdubbing and recording things separately, did that like separate you from the music in any way? Did that make it feel artificial at all? I wouldn't say it necessarily made it feel artificial, but okay. it's inherent that it's separating you from that you know, quote unquote magic that mm-hmm. you get when you're doing something live, you mm-hmm. know, everybody in the same room. Cause that's how the pros did it back in the day. Right. You know, you got everybody in a room and it was like three takes and that's all you get. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, but yeah, it's kind of impossible for it to not feel like it's a little separate. And then you get so in your head and you know, after take 23 right. where you're trying to like work on your vocals. Yeah. It's the point Tweak of diminishing. the smallest thing. It's impossible. And yeah. it's the point of diminishing returns. And mm-hmm. you, then you get frustrated and yeah. pissed off and just, you know, kind of throw your hands up and mm-hmm. it's a, a wash, you know? So mm-hmm. while it is nice to be able to have everything in a controlled environment, it does take that magic and that like, um, I don't know what it is, but that like, you've got to perform right now. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah, there, there's totally. something about the pressure of it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, on yourself and mm-hmm. on everybody involved. Whereas you don't take every take of those 23 takes mm-hmm. seriously after a while. Right. Because then it gets down to the point you're like, okay, I liked all of that, but like this one section, yeah. and it's like, okay, let me do this thing, right. you know. Mm-hmm. And in the end, like the audience wouldn't be able to tell the difference between no. the two. <laughs> Absolutely. You get so in your own head, like mm-hmm. anything, you're your own worst critic. Yeah. I want to talk about how much the music industry has changed since 2013, since mm. you first like sat down and really did it, you know, quote unquote, professionally. Because um, I think it's there are a lot of parallels in how the music industry has been affected by internet to film industry, um, or how they've both been affected by the invention of the internet and specifically streaming. But I remember a while ago, last time I was here, we were having that conversation, and you pointed out how like film managed to like stay alive like the industry of film still exists but the music industry like not so much how has that been experiencing 
like all of those changes. It's a roller coaster. Yeah. Um, it's exhausting. <laughs> yeah. I find myself wanting to just throw my hands up and mm-hmm. not even give it the time of day anymore because mm-hmm. it's none of it's about the music. None of it's about creativity. Mm-hmm. None of it's about connecting. And, you know, I guess when I said that last time you were here, it's not that the music industry is dead. I just, I guess I feel like the film industry adapted in a way mm-hmm. that it's been able to thrive a little bit more yeah. in the modern landscape than the music industry, which is very slow to change, at least on, you know, in my genres, it's, mm-hmm. it's kind of slow to adopt new technologies. Right. You know, you got a lot of old heads in the industry that don't mm-hmm. necessarily want to be messing with all the, the different things that go right. along with the modern career and people still pay to go see movies. And people still go pay to see concerts, but not, mm. I don't know. I think it's pretty, I think it's very different. Um, yeah. And you've got these big, you know, these big studios that have a lot of money to mm. put into original content. Whereas mm. there, I don't see the equivalent of that. Right. I don't see the equivalent of like the, the Netflix. Right. Like Spotify is not paying anybody to, yeah, to put out content. Mm-hmm. And that's the problem. That's the word content. <laughs> as soon right. as it became content and not yeah. music. Every everything went out the door as soon as it became an Instagram ad. Exactly, right. exactly. Um, as far as how it's changed in the last five or six years, I mean, Spotify has become the industry standard. That has changed the way everybody releases mm-hmm. music. That has changed the length of mm-hmm. the musical project that people do. That's changed the the industry landscape and who you have to have on your teams it's changed everything i mean so nowadays with spotify a lot of people just release a single at a time Mm -hmm. even if it's a 10 song a full you know 10 song record they release a single at a time you know one single a month Mm -hmm. over as many months and then at the end it's like oh that's actually part of an album right and they're just trying to get on like the discover weekly playlist or exactly and there's people there's spotify gatekeepers a handful of them not not many of them Mm -hmm. as i understand it they're they're getting more but there's only a handful of people that even allow that stuff to be considered for the playlists in the first place and the other thing that it's really done to me is really homogenized everything like if it Mm -hmm. doesn't fit into the coffee house indie kana yeah playlist then you don't even get considered whether that's you know the instrumentation rather whether mm-hmm. that's um the the actual songwriting like the you know the subject matter in the song mm-hmm. a lot of the times just the production the way the record's made where it's made who it's made by if you don't check off all these boxes that say i sound like xyz people aren't going to take a risk it's mm-hmm. just you know music has become something in the background um, right a close friend of mine likes to say it's become like you know, this is my making kale salad on a Tuesday <laughs> playlist where it's not like sitting down with, right. I think that those people are still out there and they're what keep me going. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's become a background thing mm-hmm. that you put on and you don't sit down. You make like a summer playlist. Exactly. Yeah. Or driving down the road. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a playlist for everything. Yeah. There's a, probably a playlist for two dudes sitting in this room <laughs> talking into microphones. Yeah. You know, and you uh, heard part of that playlist at the beginning of this intro. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I think you'll hear some more later. Probably. Yeah. 
<laughs> do you think it's a good thing that a couple people at Spotify have the power to like totally change someone's career? Absolutely not. <laughs> yeah. No. Again, it's all about like the what it ends up doing is it basically cuts everyone out that doesn't have these connections. Yeah. No, I don't think it's I don't think it's good at all. Mm-hmm. I think it really stifles creativity. Do you see a future in which that changes? Yeah. I mean, you know, look, the music industry is not dead. Right. Um, it's down to close to nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I have to hope <laughs> right. That, right. That, that we'll figure this out mm-hmm. somehow. I mean, I'm sure it's not a secret to anybody listening to this that one Spotify stream equals... Point zero zero one cent. Right. So, you know, hundreds of thousands of streams mean you get enough money to go get some pad thai at the restaurant down the road. You know? Right. Um where if you take that into album sales, it's way different. It's a way different landscape. Yeah. I think that I hope that I think and I hope that there are enough people out there that really appreciate music for the right reasons Mm -hmm. that will continue to roll with the punches Mm -hmm. and as the song says yeah and (laughs) exactly and um and paying for it and showing up you know Mm -hmm. who are some of the artists that you see is like still creating it for that pure reason of not trying to be the coffee shop song yeah you know i would say dawes is a great example of that Mm -hmm. um that being said, you know, everyone to a certain extent, right. I think yeah, even has their sound to, has changed a bunch. Exactly. Yeah. And they've, you know, because it's impossible to break out. Right. Um, if you got to play the game a little bit, mm-hmm. that's the key though. You've got to play the game knowing that it's a game. The vast majority of people in the game don't realize mm-hmm. that it's a game or they do and they just totally buy into it. Right. And that's when you lose yourself to you know, however many Instagram likes you have. Yeah. Um, and you let all these arbitrary metrics control how you value yourself and mm-hmm. your music and your own creativity yeah. and your output. There's a lot of people out there still hitting the pavement mm-hmm. and really road dogging it and trying to make something out of nothing. Yeah. Um, for the right reasons, mm-hmm. I think. Um, but everybody's got to kind of blend. Everybody's got to toe that line in a certain way if they want to have a fighting chance of breaking out and whatever that means you Mm -hmm. know i want to talk about being a working artist and not in the sense of like every day you're trying to play the game like you were just saying Mm -hmm. and get on the spotify playlist and everything but as someone who goes to an art school I, i see a bunch of people who say like i will never do an office job or like this thing i'll only do what i want to do forever which is you know it's a a great thought and i've definitely like had that thought before as have i right (laughs) but um you know you have like a day job and you know other things that you do i remember one of the times that i was here you were telling me that like one of the best things you can do is get a job that is in the industry somehow like for me if i'm like filming weddings like that's a lot better than being a a server or you know an uber driver or whatever it is because i'm at least like stretching that muscle in some way you're working with your medium right exactly so how has your work in digital marketing affected your knowledge of music and stuff like that i don't have that i none of my work on my day job on the day job side of things really coincides with anything that i do 
um, mm-hmm. in the music industry besides on only like actual the creative aspects of it right right what it has allowed me to do um because the, the thing about the modern music industry is everyone also all, the, all of a sudden has to be like a small business owner and a, right. and a self-marketer mm-hmm. you know everyone in the creative field i think kind of like has to figure out how to market themselves and that's something that i really struggle mm-hmm. to do with myself i think i'm way too close to it but i've definitely learned a lot about promoting music in this modern landscape through my day job but you know i don't coming from someone who for years was fully on board and fully subscribed to this idea that if you don't do the thing that you're going for 100 percent of the time then you're a phony Mm -hmm. you're a sellout so on and so forth that's just not reality and it's certainly not realistic Mm -hmm. um tony morrison who just died, you know, and all the different writings about her um, and all the wonderful things that she contributed to the world. I saw something that really struck me because mm-hmm. that's something that I think we, I speak for everybody that, and the, you know, who has to make a living that we all kind of struggle with, mm-hmm. whether we're in the creative fields or, or whatever that, you know, there's this idea, this stigma that like you are the work that you do. On right. a daily basis. Yeah, absolutely. So if you're not doing, if that work does not have something to do that you're super passionate about, um, then again, that makes you some sort of phony, mm-hmm. you know, seller. Or like not an artist. Exactly. Yeah. And that couldn't be further from the truth. Right. That is a steaming pile of lies. Mm-hmm. Um, and Toni Morrison's father on that, on that note said to her, I'm sure when she was struggling with something like this, that it's you aren't the work that you do. You're the person that you are, mm-hmm. you know, nothing can take that away from you. Mm-hmm. And so when you go home and turn in whatever's making you money so you can keep a roof over your head and food on the plate at the end of the day, you know, if you concentrate on the things that actually matter, your family and your passions, mm-hmm. then that's what really makes a full life. And yeah. I don't think that that life is any less full. I don't think that that I don't think the fact that I do something relatively boring between 8 a.m. and 4 or 5 p.m. during the day makes me any less of an artist right. whatsoever. Yeah. Um, I think being an artist is much more broad than that. It's about it's about living in the world mm-hmm. and relating to people and figuring it out on a daily basis and right. feeling those struggles and then creating right. with those inspirations in mind. Right. So yeah, for me, that's been, I just, I really resonated that with that when right. I, when I, when I read that the other day, because mm-hmm. I, I think it's true. Right. Something that like, it's taught me, like your, what your job has taught me is like, it's important to think about the life you want, but also like the lifestyle that you want, because like here we are, I mean, we're recording like in your home office, you get to work from home. And you can. Up- it's a home office studio. I mean, yeah, we, yeah, we got, we got a piano, we got like a piano. seven <laughs> guitars on the wall, <laughs> right? A few amps over here. Yeah, it's a nice setup, <laughs> exactly. And that's um, that's the other thing I was gonna say, and that's really the reason that I, because I, I was one of the guys who was, you know, slinging beers and bar backing at the restaurants right. when I wasn't on tour. You mm-hmm. know, I did that for a long time, and it's exhausting. Yeah, when you're working double shifts. You don't have any energy to give to music when you come right, home not at like the end of the day. You come home and you're writing a song and or whatever. And you can't do it on the road. And so as right. a solo artist, 
it was never a band buy-in thing. It wasn't like four people in the same in the van who were all just going to split whatever whatever was at the end of the night. It was me. It was my name on mm-hmm. on the marquee <laughs> when they have it a marquee. <laughs> most bars um, and our marquee list. <laughs> yeah, most bars don't have marquees. Surprisingly, weird. Um, <laughs> Um, but you know, it was my name and I had to pay these guys to stay Mm. on the road. I had to put gas in the tank. I had to make sure everybody could stay in, you know, a hotel that had the least amount of bed bugs (laughs) and rats possible, um, at the end of the night. Um, so what this allowed me to do is take the show on the road, Mm -hmm. honestly, and be able to work during the day on drives, Mm -hmm. um, from anywhere and travel, Mm -hmm. um, which has been hugely important and yeah. i would not have been able to do it without it mm-hmm. you know yeah as long as you have an internet connection you can exactly work exactly yeah and and it's all for the sake of keeping keeping the creative pursuit and that lifestyle right. going because you want to have the lifestyle that's that's conducive to your mm-hmm. creative pursuit yeah totally how do other art forms influence your music we are both from a very artistically rich place both like geographically but also like you know our family is you know we we've got like our family's artwork up in this room and our mother plays piano and all that stuff how much of those external separate art forms influence music Mm -hmm. i'd say that the two biggest ones for me are books first and foremost Mm -hmm. hugely influenced by some of my favorite authors and Mm -hmm. the way they write and the subject matter that they write about Mm -hmm. i like to you know, pick a specific subject matter that they're dealing with and, you know, one particular passage and kind of like try to put my spin on it. Okay. Um, in a similar voice or tone, maybe. Um, who are some of those authors? Um, Faulkner, Robert Penn Warren, um, rereading all the Kingsmen. Yeah. I saw it on the kitchen table. Um, I try to reread it every couple of years. Mm -hmm. It's a really, really important story. A lot of novels, um, Southern Gothic, you yeah. know, Flannery O'Connor, um, Walker Percy kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so a lot of those authors have really influenced how I approach writing, you know, with those Southern Gothic authors I've experienced firsthand the, so, the sorts of uh, trials and tribulations of mm-hmm. uh, growing up in the South as a on, on the more progressive side. Right. Easily relatable mm-hmm. to me. And then besides books, I'd say like different films in the same oh, way really? that, and I don't know, I don't even know if I have any specific ones <laughs> in mind to be honest right. with you, but it's, it's the same kind of, it's the same kind of thing with like the how book. it tells a story. Exactly. Yeah. And like, if there's something that really resonates with me mm-hmm. in a film, then I'll like, I'll be like, I want to take a stab at that idea okay. or yeah. like that struggle that this person's right. having, you know, like mm-hmm. I relate to this that's happening. Mm-hmm. I know the landscape, I, I know how this feels. Right. Like what the, whatever's happening. Right. Um, and I want to take a stab at like my interpretation of mm-hmm. what it is and how to deal with it. So yeah, those two I would say yeah. are the biggest ones. Do you think if you didn't grow up in the American South that you would be singing and writing about different ideas? I'm sure. I mean, yeah. you're informed by your surroundings a hundred percent of the time, you know, absolutely. Uh, moving, you know, moving around a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, all, and all, all, all over the, the Southeast is yeah. 100% informed what I write about, how I write about it. Yeah. Cause you've seen a bunch of different areas of the South and it's like North Carolina, which isn't like 
south in the same way Mississippi is, but it still has like different aspects of it that have parallels in like other southern states. One thousand percent. You know? Um it absolutely does. And contrary to popular belief, outside of the South, every state in the South is not it's not interchangeable. Mississippi is very different from North Carolina. It's yeah. very different from Tennessee. From Alabama. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And all over the map, it's it, it, everybody has their own brand of crazy. Um, <laughs> yeah, I like that. Um, ours just gets uh, broadcasted a bunch. It does. <laughs> and the chip on our shoulders gets, gets taller by the day. <laughs> yeah, that it does. <laughs> I want to talk about your creative process. Um, what's your process for writing a song? Do you come up with the lyrics first? Do you come up with the melody or the way the instruments will sound? Like, what what is that like? Because I wouldn't even know where to begin. Well, I guess I don't really either <laughs> most of the time because I don't actually have a stringent process right. that I stick to very strictly. Mm-hmm. Um, I do it. I've done it in a lot of different ways over the years. Mm-hmm. I've done it in real time where you're writing the chords and kind of like humming along a melody right. and then trying to think of different words that, you know, different phrasings that would sound good mm-hmm. over those particular chords or melody or mm-hmm. something like that. These days, I'm always writing different pieces of music, like just the the actual instrumentation. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of different pieces simultaneously, but not connected at all to a lot of different, um, you know, bits and pieces of lyrics. Sometimes I try to just like randomly say, hey, maybe this would fit over this. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes it's just a little riff or a little, yeah. you know a little chorus melody or something like that. But, and I think that that's true of how co-writing has been for Mm -hmm. me too. I've done that in a lot of different ways where, you know, someone will come with a full chord progression and almost all the lyrics, they just need a little help on a couple of the lines. Mm -hmm. Um, Or I'll do that with someone. Um, And then it's just like, just change this chord, Mm -hmm. put a bridge here or something like that. I've also done it where, we have hours long conversations for two or three days straight before we even put pen to paper or, mm-hmm. you know, pick to guitar. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, and that's equally as fun mm-hmm. um, to really nail down a concept and just be on the same vibe as the person that you're working with. Mm-hmm. It also works solo to like really think, you know, super in depth about like if it's more of a story, story based song, like more of a narrative which is something I've been trying to work on mm-hmm. more recently. So many of my songs in the past have been like I, me, you know, my just first person, you know, kind mm-hmm. of stuff, whether it's about my specific, you know, situation or, or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but really trying to go into the third person to tell more objective stories mm-hmm. from that perspective. So like in that third person narrative example, like you really want to think of, think about the full story that you're trying to tell before you even tell it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's really disjointed and not super fluid. Um, yeah. but I think that that's honestly what keeps it interesting for me. Mm-hmm. I've, I've gone through phases where I try to, you know, wake up at seven o'clock <laughs> in the morning and write from eight to 10. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just never been something that's been super fruitful or productive for me when it's forced. I'm allergic to routine in that sense. Mm-hmm. That takes a lot of the magic away from it. And maybe I'm just not disciplined enough yet. You know, we're always striving to be better. Right. And I know a lot of the 
a lot of the writers, whether they're authors or um, musicians or or whatever, that mm-hmm. that of course you have to do that when you're required to, right? You know, produce output. Yeah, when you've on got a deadline. Yeah, exactly. When you you've know? got a producer, but somewhere the one that's one of the things, one of the few things that's been nice about running an independent production is I'm not, I don't have to answer to anybody, right? Um, as far as deadlines or anything like that mm-hmm. um how do you decide what order the songs go in on an album mm. sometimes it's uh subject matter mm-hmm. sometimes it's just the feel it's a lot like putting together a set list right. honestly but you're not standing there mm-hmm. you know you're hopefully sitting maybe <laughs> making a kale salad um <laughs> who knows yeah so i try to think about it as in terms of kale salad so you get all the <laughs> you get all the leaves out so like what song sounds like just getting all the kale out right what song sounds like chopping the kale <laughs> what song sounds like walnuts what song sounds like raspberries do you right. even put raspberries in well, a kale know. salad i don't think so but <laughs> if um, the song calls for it right <laughs> exactly um but no it's it's really just like a you know trying to take people on a natural journey. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of my tunes uh, have pretty wild swings between either super slow and sad or like medium slow and sad. (laughs) That kind of (laughs) covers the spectrum. Uh, So it's never super difficult for me. But like some songs might, like one thing I like to do at the end of a record is really strip down. Um, yeah. like the, the end of my first record was just me and boots, mm-hmm. um, Luke Iverson playing just a, a duo song at the end of this new project that is yet to be released. It's Ivy and I, mm-hmm. um, our lovely sister, our lovely sister, and then just drums in the background. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's super, super stripped down. I like to do something like that at the end and you know that might just be something that i've absorbed through osmosis through like listening to my favorite records and my favorite peers records over over the years it's just been you know that's kind of what you do Mm -hmm. at the end of a record um but you know getting back to playing the game a little bit Mm -hmm. people don't have the attention spans to listen to an entire record right so the way i would line up a track listing now might be a little different than mm-hmm. it was five or six years ago when mm-hmm. I've got to worry about, you know, people's split second attention spans. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, they'll probably make it through three songs yeah, before they move on, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so I might try to stack it a little bit more right on, you know, on the side a, mm-hmm. so to speak. Yeah. Um, playlist a, yeah. But in, in general, like I like to think about, I don't go to create a project unless I feel that there is a certain cohesiveness between the different songs themselves, mm-hmm. between the individual songs themselves, you know, in that sense, because they're all kind of related to each other because mm-hmm. they fit together. I think there's just kind of a natural way that you can lay them out. Mm-hmm. It feels, you know, like a finished thought, like a beginning, middle and end. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So your last album was six years ago. Mm-hmm. Your newest stuff, which I and few others have heard, mm-hmm. um, sounds way different mm-hmm. from that. And I think it's in, a, in the best way. Like, I love it. And, um, you know, the, like the people who were working on the music video, which we'll talk about in a little bit, loved it as well. But what was your I mindset? Wish the people in the music <laughs> industry loved it as much as we did. <laughs> so uh, what was your mindset? 
going into this this new album with a with a different sound and like changing the your performance name quote unquote yeah um i've been listening to a lot of different stuff over the years first of all i think you know everybody can relate to the fact that like as an artist you have to grow right you have to you have to evolve Mm -hmm. or you're just kind of pandering to whatever yeah it was in the past Mm -hmm. so a lot of it was just based you know very broadly mm-hmm. in that um, I've been listening to a lot of different music um, than I was back then. I wanted it to rely more on me hmm. than the last record did in the sense that I played a lot of the different instruments. Right there. You know, I was the sole writer on the record mm-hmm. while my producer Seth Kaufman did help with a couple of lyrics mm-hmm. on one tune Yeah, where half the record that I made before back in the day was co-written mm-hmm. um, with different people so i wanted to do that i wanted to make it in north carolina mm-hmm. i wanted it to be no pressure a really organic process yeah as far as like the technical aspect of it like the the song that we made or the record that we made back in 2012 or 2013 like i said earlier was like there were a couple days where we were all in there just to play live, just to get the drum and bass. So yeah. like all 12 songs, we do just the drum and bass on for two days. Mm-hmm. And then we come in and it's guitar day. And then it's, you know, fiddle day. And then right. it's keyboard day. Mm-hmm. Um, so it felt very disjointed. Right. Um, where we never, I, I never, I don't think you can really give, unless you have a super clear idea of mm-hmm. what it is on the front end, you can't give the song by itself the time and the space to be its own thing, which is the total opposite of what we did this time, which was we did not move on to another song until the the last song was finished. You mm-hmm. know, we worked on one song at a time, you know, started with the rhythm section, filled it in with the mids and all the way up mm-hmm. to the vocals before we did anything else. How do you know a song is done? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you ever do. Right. Um, is it? I've I've heard there's some uh, there's a I have a film professor at SCAD. I think it was Professor Sadwith who I interviewed, um, but he said films are not released; they escape. Yeah, now, I wonder if it's the same idea. And they they escape, and they eventually just they got to get out of there. Like they, they you, <laughs> right. you have to you have to put a cap on it right. at some point in order mentally to move on yeah. to the next thing. You could you could play with knobs and sing better takes or, you know, different feels, Mm -hmm. you know, until the cows come home. But it's, you know, at a certain point it just, it has to be done. Yeah. You know, I know you're saying one of the best things about being independent is that you don't have like overhead of people telling you what to do, but do you try to give yourself deadlines? Yeah, absolutely. Um, because you know, however arbitrary they are yeah they at least motivate me to Mm -hmm. you know get my ass in gear to a certain extent right and you know get productive Mm -hmm. and not just you know be complacent and dormant yeah um so so yeah i do i do give myself deadlines but i'm also flexible with myself because i want to do it right you know and i want it to Mm -hmm. and i want it to feel right i don't want to force it and you know it like i said it was just on this new stuff it was just I guess three people counting Ivy on that one song. Mm-hmm. The majority of it was just Seth and me, mm-hmm. you know, and that was really cool too. Cause when you get a lot of cooks in the kitchen, everybody's got their own opinion right? and it can get away from you. 
And yeah. in a band setting, that's cool. But again, it's my name at the right. end of the day. And I, I don't know if I ever really before had the courage to go at it by myself fully, hmm. you know, standing alone, you know, yeah. with a vision solely of my own making. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it was something that I really felt like I needed to do to prove it to myself that I could, hmm. that I could go in with just songs that I'd written right. with just my idea of how it should sound and communicate that to a producer, get it down on tape and, and successfully right. get it done. Yeah. Um, so it, a lot of this was proving that to mm-hmm. myself. Does that make it harder to receive criticism from your producer? Well, the other thing about it is like, I really, I, I made a pact with myself to, while I had my vision and of what it, what it should be. If, some, if he, I trusted him enough right, to where like, if he made a suggestion or thought that something should be different, I was like, cool, mm-hmm. that's fine. It, you know, and it, it makes it more fun that way. And that mm-hmm. was kind of part of it too. Like, cause the first record was kind of self produced in a, in a certain right. way. Like I really, you know, kind of ran the show as far mm-hmm. as, as far as that as far as all that stuff went in a lot of different ways, but I wanted to kind of hand over a certain amount of those reins and really, again, like prove to myself that I could be flexible and allow someone else's ideas about whatever it is with my music, Mm. you know, to supersede what I thought right at that time. Um, that was, that was really cool. And if, if I didn't trust him and have like that vibe with him, Mm -hmm. then I don't think it would have been, been quite like that you Mm. know in like a high pressure environment you know i don't think it i don't think it would have ended up in the same way Mm -hmm. and i think a lot of that was his ability to kind of just like take what he he saw what i was trying to do right and he just wanted to help me do it Mm -hmm. you know giving me pointers and tips and you know changing what he thought was appropriate along the way but at the end of the day it was just two guys in a room trying to have fun and Mm -hmm. and and let the mistakes take us where, you know, let the mistakes drive. Yeah. In a lot of different sense. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's sounds on this new stuff that like six years ago, I would shudder, you know, <laughs> to think that anything like that sounded like that. Right. I just took myself so seriously. Yeah. And I was really trying to not take myself so damn seriously this time, mm-hmm. you know, and just have fun mm-hmm. making music. Yeah. Is it so hard? <laughs> no, it shouldn't be. Right. You know? Um, so that's really the the spirit that I went into it with. Mm-hmm. I think I have the same problem with film. It's like every movie has to be so emotional and impactful. And you just take it so seriously because right. it's important to you. And it's, right. you know, this is, yeah, there's a reason that we've dedicated our lives to this stuff. Yeah. You know, so then... But when you put that pressure, that constant pressure on it, especially from yourself, it can be just like detrimental, hugely mm-hmm. detrimental to the whole creative process, you know? And it's funny, like when I let go of all that stuff with this project, I feel like I hit a better note. I feel like mm. because I stopped worrying about how much this related to everyone, I finally was able to actually relate to everyone because hmm. I was just trying to have fun um, in a way that I don't think that I really ever achieved on that first record. Hmm. It was all so serious. Yeah. Yeah. I want to ask a couple 
audience submitted questions mm. uh, before we wrap out. The first, uh, my friend and fan of the podcast, Caleb Knight, asked, what was it like growing up with the West? And then he said, parentheses, don't tell West. I asked this. <laughs> so that's what he posted on your <laughs> on <Instagram>? my <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Never thought he'd, you'd find out. Yeah, huh? I guess not. Dang. <laughs> I'm sorry, bud. I, I didn't tell him. Um, <laughs> you know, it was a whole lot. It was a pile of fun. <laughs> it was just a pile of fun. Of course. And, and you know, I, uh, I have this, when we were talking about this earlier, I have this memory of, uh, uh, we were, we would always, you know, have lemonade stands. Out <laughs> right. front. And when you were a baby, everybody loves a baby. And I was right. like, dang, you know, like. <laughs> get this baby out here. We might sell a little bit more lemonade. Right. And we have people lined up down the block yeah. to see your pudgy cheeks. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, I think it's always, I think we've always seen eye to eye. And yeah. um, I really enjoyed being able to show you cool bands. Yeah. I feel like a lot of kids don't have somebody like me mm-hmm. to show them what what's cool and what's not. Yeah, There's definitely only two kids that have you to show them what's cool and what's not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so that was, uh, that was fun. But you know, and then I left home, you know, mm-hmm. when you were seven or eight. Yeah. And you know, I've told you this before, but there was a certain part of me that felt a little guilty that I wasn't able to be, there mm-hmm. and like what I felt like was a really important part of your development, right. your developmental stages. Mm-hmm. Um, but I always knew in the back of my mind that one day we'd both be out in the world together. Yeah, and that I could pick up pick mm-hmm. up some of my slack over <laughs> those few years. Right, um, and I think that we've really gotten to do that a yeah. lot, and that's been really really important mm-hmm. to me. Um, yeah, you yeah. get older and you realize what really matters. Oh, absolutely. In the world. Um, yeah, and how many Instagrams you have, Instagram likes you have on your pre-save my pre-announcement, you know, right. post about yeah. your Spotify like indie folk kind of playlist. Right, does not matter. Mm-hmm. Um, family does. Right. So, um, that's been a whole lot of fun. Mm-hmm. You know. I think one of the coolest things was getting to make a music video together because I wanted to do that since I started taking pictures. Barrels of fun. Yeah, that was great. And we got to make it at SCAD with like a bunch of my SCAD friends and absolutely professional. The location was yeah beyond cool. Mm -hmm. Big shout out to Film Biz Recycling. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, Literally could not have done it. Yeah. Samita Samita and Andrew were just Mm -hmm. fantastic. And, you know, we had endless props um, because we were shooting in a prop house. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so it was just a playground Yeah, that I, th- I feel like we had a blast. Yeah. And the crew was all super great. Oh, absolutely. Jackson Varney, our production designer was just amazing. Totally. And created some incredible sets. Yeah. You could tell everybody really wanted to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, which is always, always fun. Yeah. It's kind of what you can ask for when you aren't paying people. Exactly. You know, I hope they enjoyed, you know, the food spread. Oh, that we, was we, the, we took it pretty seriously. Oh, that was the best yeah. food on a set that I'd ever had. Exactly. Just the pimento cheese sandwiches. Yeah. You could have only done that and I would have been satisfied. Shout out to Lainey Gibbons <laughs> yeah, on exactly. that. Yeah. Major um, shouts to Lainey. She Lainey. now has a future career in crafty if that's <laughs> yeah, what she wants. Absolutely. Yeah. Easily. I will give her the <laughs> highest recommendation possible. Totally. <laughs> How was this music video different from your first one? Because the first mm. one was just like uh, one of your friends yeah, and a- then like an actor. Like you weren't even in the shots. Nope. 
No. Nope. And this one, it was all you. I was trying to keep the sailboat from tipping over <laughs> into the lake. Um, so, you know, in that yeah, sense, it was... baby sister. Exactly. <laughs> R.I.P. Um, yeah. But uh, in that sense, it was completely different. I mean, it was it was more of a narrative based off of the of the content in the songs um, mm. and of the story in the songs in the song that is. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it was, uh, so there was an actor playing, like it wasn't even supposed to be me necessarily, right. you know? Um, and my, my buddy Casey McBride who did it, mm-hmm. um, who like directed and wrote it and filmed it and everything. Yeah. Um, he, he, it was all basically his idea. Okay. Um, I'm slightly embarrassed to say this, but I'm comfortable enough with myself to say it. Okay. When I went to him with my original idea, this is going to really, this is countrified, <laughs> countrified steak right here. Um, but my original idea when I went to him was, you know, so I got the sailboat over here, you know, and I was thinking we all just kind of take the sailboat over there and then like we put like the drum set on the top there and like you just kind of film us playing a song on the boat <laughs> and he just laughed out loud and i was like yeah it's probably not a great idea but then he listened to the tune he's like oh i've got a way better idea okay and he wrote it out and i read the script and i'm like oh no mm-hmm. <laughs> sounds like a lot better of a music video than my my countryfied let's get a banjo on the on the sailboat you know take it maybe out the grill a hot dog in the scene you know <laughs> Be rolling me drinking a Bud Light, you know. Um, <laughs> so, uh, and you know, it was a whole lot of fun. Yeah, um, out there on the lake all day. Gorilla um, filmmaking is really fun. Yeah, you know, just yeah. shooting it exactly. without permits and just doing it. You right, know? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it was a whole lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you know, this time around, I kind of came to you and I was like, "Here's the tune." Mm-hmm. I didn't have a countryfied idea. <laughs> Sadly. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I think we might have both benefited from yes. the lack of that this yeah. time around. And then you just kind of took, took, you know, took mm-hmm. it from there, which I thought was really cool. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's, again, you know, how I've really looked at this project is like, I did my creative part. Right. You know, I wrote the tunes that came from the heart. All mm-hmm. the important stuff is there. The magic of those moments is there. And right. I think it lives and shines in these songs mm-hmm. um, from from writing them to recording them, you know, and everything after. I'm like, what is this for you? Mm-hmm. You know, and of course, again, it's all about the fact that I trusted you and you trusted right. me to be able to, you know, make the thing that that we both wanted to make. Mm hmm. And that was really cool. Mm-hmm. One of my friends, uh, Haley Morris, who has been on the podcast a couple of times and was there mm-hmm. helping us. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were talking about the song Broken Wing, which we made the music video for. And she said, uh, I don't know, like I just kind of just asked like what she thought it sounded like. It was because my friend Daniel Nunnally was in town mm-hmm. and he, I guess he's the other musician that I interviewed and he was talking about how he can imagine songs in like a visual sense. And mm-hmm. so I wanted to ask her what it was like for a broken wing. And she said that broken wing felt like someone sitting on a, on like a park bench, like watching the world pass by and all of it's good and all it's bad. And like trying to convey that like to an audience, which I thought was like a really interesting way on how she interpreted it. Yeah. Um, especially like with her being there at the music video, like how she could yeah, imagine that in her head was really yeah. interesting to me. And I feel like that's spot on, you know, 
I feel like that if you listen to more songs, even past songs, like that's that's kind of my thing. Like mm-hmm. I'm just another guy in the world looking out, trying to make sense of everything. Right. Seeing all the good mixed with all the bad mm-hmm. and just trying to, you know, get by just like mm-hmm. everybody else. Um, so a lot of it does come from that place. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Do you think now is a good time to be a musician? Nope. <laughs> and the next question. <laughs> no, I, you know, I mean, like, it, it's a great time to be a an EDM musician. It's a great <laughs> right. time to be a beat maker mm-hmm. and a producer, quote unquote, in that sense. Yeah. Um, it's a terrible time to be a guitar playing <laughs> songwriter. Right. Uh, to me. Um and it's not just me, of course, it's not just me that's saying that. Um, yeah. You talk to any of the greats from back in the day, like the all the greats in, from the 70s, mm-hmm. you know, um, David Crosby, Neil yeah. Young, Joni Mitchell. Those people get asked this that question now and they're like, oh, hell no. It yeah. would be impossible to do what we did yeah. today. And it is. Mm-hmm. It is impossible. Mm-hmm. Um that sounds cynical, but no, it's just, it's just really tough. Um, mm-hmm. and you don't have, again, the income streams and everything that, that they had back in the day. Um, it's an interesting time to be doing it. And if you you have to be doing it for the right reasons to me now more than ever. The only reason I keep doing it is because I love it. And I feel like that there's something in me that needs to come out. Right. So even if nobody hears anything that I do from now until I die. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, that's not why I'm doing it mm-hmm. anymore. That that had more to do with why I was doing it in the past than it does now. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's where people get a lot really hung up. And this the modern music industry forces people into changing their craft and changing everything that they do, the person that they are, yeah. in order to play the game. Um, and I think that people make a lot of sacrifices. Right. Um, yeah, it's just it's just really tough out there. Mm-hmm. Um, what advice do you have for people who want to be singer songwriters? Hmm. Other than don't. <laughs> <laughs> I know I sound terrible. No, I mean I want you to be honest because I think there's a lot of that's something that I like about this podcast is that I think like I mean you can give the inspirational part of you know pursue art and you know do everything you can to make it happen, but like again going to an art school, I think there's a lot of people who have an unrealistic view of how it's going to be. So I think it's healthy to give honest answers. So, you know, be honest. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, go for it. It's going to be hard, right? It's just going to be so, so hard that you can't even imagine how hard it's going to be, but keep going. Like there's Mm -hmm. not just because you don't get the, you know, the recognition, um, that you feel like you deserve or that you probably do deserve. Mm -hmm. Um, doesn't mean, that you're any less creative or any less talented or any less worthy, you know, it just means that you don't take good enough selfies, <laughs> you right. know, right. um, or, you know, just do it for the right reasons. Mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, one thing that I had, um, had some experiences with as far as like being an, a singer and a songwriter in the music industry machine for my time in Nashville, I had yeah. opportunities to, sing on pop country records which i did Mm -hmm. and i had opportunities to write 
songs mm-hmm. uh, that would wind up on the radio, which I did a couple times, but neither of those opportunities fit for me personally mm-hmm. to what I was, th- those didn't have anything to do with why I was doing it. Mm-hmm. But there is certainly a living to be made mm-hmm. for people who churn out songs with three or four writers in the room. There's certainly a living to be made for um, touring musicians and mm-hmm. and singers. And they're, you know, if you can hold on to who you are mm-hmm. while also giving the people what they want, so mm-hmm. to speak, you know, play the game correctly, mm-hmm. then then there, it's it's definitely, you know, I... I changed my answer a little bit. It's not completely impossible. Right. It's definitely not completely impossible. Right. And there are people out there well, that are still Well, of course it isn't, yeah, yeah, because we see people doing that Absolutely. You know, right now. Absolutely. Yeah. That band, that uh, Half-Life that I showed you, that music video that mm-hmm. they did, that was like super choreographed. They, when that song came out, that was like their fourth song. Yeah. And then it got 25 million views right. on YouTube and they announced an international world tour. And then their album came out and luckily the album's like actually really good. And now I'm like, okay, I'm glad that you are getting this. But for a second I was like, man, they're touring and they have four songs. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. And they kind of came out of nowhere. Yeah. You know, um, again, you know, that's a situation where they leveraged the platforms right. and the yeah. landscape and they saw how it was and they, mm-hmm. I'm sure they made that video specifically for, this you know oh absolutely Um, yeah so like for sure that like the end goal was it's kind of like the uh, the backwards way (laughs) right yeah which is why i'm sitting here you know and they're (laughs) on tour you know with 25 million views maybe um (laughs) right uh you know that end goal was i'm sure conscious the whole time oh yeah i'm sure they made that uh, i'll put the link to the uh video in the description if you haven't if you're not one of those 25 million people that have seen it but it's definitely the song and the music video and the production as a whole they made that knowing like this is going to get on trending on mm-hmm. the youtube page mm-hmm. this is going to mm-hmm. do well they made it so it, they designed it as such right so and it was very successful yeah so <laughs> more you know, power to them you know? exactly more yeah. power to the people who see the machine for what it is and know which plugs you mm-hmm. know to plug and which switches to switch right um you know so there's definitely that aspect to it um and i'm not you know i like to knock on that but I, i'm really not um because right. i know those people are working just as hard as anybody else i know they've gone through you know hard times just like everybody yeah. else yeah um yeah, so it's definitely definitely possible. Yeah, definitely possible. Before we wrap out, I want to ask you uh, less of a serious question. Mm-hmm. I've got a friend, Caitlin, who always responds to when I post on the stories, like submit a question. She always sends me uh, not fun, would you rather questions. Okay. So this is one of those. Uh, she said, would you rather swallow a handful of dead bees or a handful of cat hair? Well, I mean, <laughs> bees have protein. <laughs> true and they're dead they are dead so they don't feel like they're gonna sting you i don't know my, Absolutely. Gut, my gut feeling wants to say bees dead yeah bees is it like that the hair would kind of get caught and gross and stuff and, you know hairballs it's just not <laughs> it's not a good look for anybody that yeah. don't get the instagram I've dealt likes. with a lot of pet hair <laughs> haven't dealt with a lot of bee hair right um so i think it's the hair okay that's mm-hmm. what i'm gonna use that uh quote as the intro to this episode. sounds good <laughs> well before we end is there anything that you want to to plug to the 
thousands that will listen to this <laughs> <laughs> to mom and dad who are going to listen to this yeah <laughs> mom and dad uh, you know um we're going to get this project out there mm-hmm. at some point um we've got six songs done we've got a music video done more mm-hmm. videos on the way um so yeah just be on the lookout mm-hmm. um we'll be picking up the touring schedule a little bit more um into the fall and in the next spring and yeah so more coming soon do you want to shout out that show that you just made the poster for oh yeah there's a show here in Asheville, north carolina um at the moth light on september 18th nice if any of you uh tungsteners <laughs> are around <laughs> right come on by yeah come hang out suck yeah. my butt presents <laughs> Super, super serious production company yeah. that I'm working with now. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They've got a lot of money in it. So. <laughs> yeah. Just, I mean, they're really changing the game. Absolutely. Suck my butt. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. They they want to be taken seriously. Right. Yeah. Which you can tell. Yeah. By exactly. the name and the, just everything. Exactly. <laughs> well, thanks so much for doing this. Um, I hope you enjoyed doing your first oh, podcast. This was, this was a blast. This was a fun time. Uh, the, you're my first flesh and blood that I've oh, interviewed. Okay. So. All right. Well, you might think twice about doing this again. <laughs> right. Yeah. You might be the first and the last. Yeah. <laughs> right. The beginning and the end. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for doing it. And thank you, everybody, for listening. 